0: Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be taking a look at the James White-Enyart debate and looking at James White's opening statement. We're going to figure out what type of arguments he makes, what kind of uh, emotions he injects into his arguments, and try to figure out if any of his arguments are good arguments. So let's go ahead.
1: Well, good evening. Thank you very much for being here this evening. This is a very, very important topic, and I hope you will listen very carefully. I also hope you will allow each one of us to define our own positions. Unfortunately, Bob has misrepresented me pretty badly already on a number of instances. Uh, he didn't give
0: That might be fair. That might also not be fair. There was an Austin Fisher debate that uh, Enyer is quoting that James White perhaps doesn't remember, and then he will later claim that he's misrepresented once that quote comes to
1: light give citations because he wouldn't be able to Uh, I'll try to correct those in my rebuttal period because I only have a few moments to try to explain to you why it is that Christianity uh, all branches of Christianity uh, have never believed what Bob just presented to you to be true the primary reason is this, what you've heard Bob do just now is he's taken certain attributes which all Christians believe, that God is personal, that he's living, that he's good, he's uh, relational, we all believe that what he does is he elevates those above the other... You don't believe that. You don't. You believe he's impassable
0: and immutable, and those don't work together with uh, relational, active, loving, good. It doesn't work with those attributes. There's no way to get those to work together. You just claim that two contradictory things simultaneously coexist. They don't.
1: Other attributes that are revealed in Scripture... The only way to truly understand God is to go to his word and allow his word to tell us about him because we are not like him. We are his creatures and therefore we're dependent upon his word to explain. We're not like him. We're
0: not made in the image of God. So explain that. Explain how we're not like him and in which ways we are like him. Because last time I checked, the entire premise of the Bible was that mankind is in the image of God. So in some way, some way we're like God, right? In some way. But Calvinists don't like this because they like this uh, transcendent God that has nothing to do with humanity. And
1: it's not the biblical God. It's not. It's Platonism. This guy is a Platonist. ...to us who he is. So what Christian theology has done down through the years is not follow Plato and all the rest of that kind of stuff. That's, that's a bogus argument. What we... No, it's actually super
0: legit. Augustine himself said that the Bible's absurd until you read it in the lens of Plotinus. Brilliant, brilliant. And this is
1: the stuff you believe, James White, Platonism. What we have done is we've allowed the scriptures, all of the scriptures, to reveal the entire range of God's attributes, and we, as his creature. And what he means by that is he, he means he
0: takes these short little clips found in various places in the Bible, he attaches on his uh, negative theology, and then he uses that to override the other parts of the Bible he doesn't like. It's this very selective, mystical, type of translation. So, James White, you
1: are a mystic. Preachers do not have the right to say, I'm going to pick this one, this one, this one, this one. And I'm going to subserviate everything else to these, because those- This is utter projection. It is projection. Those are the ones that make God most look like me. That's why you won't find this belief in church history, because people recognize that there are so many passages of the Bible that teach otherwise. It's not a matter of well you've got your interpretational system and I've got mine.
0: It's No, usually people come to the Bible and they say, "Oh, this is absurd." And people um like Augustine, Origen, Ambrose, they don't believe what the Bible says because it it's
1: just it it, it offends their sensibilities. It's allowing the Bible to speak for itself. So, I'm going to begin with Ephesians 1.11, and I'm going to suggest to you that if you read Ephesians 1.1 1-1 through one you you're going to find no way to limit what God is saying there when He says, when He is described as the God who works all things after the counsel of His will, because the context there is the accomplishment of the highest act that God is engaged in, and that is His self-glorification, the salvation of... Oh, that, that's all about
0: God's self-glorification? Really? And there's no way to take that any way other than uh, God controls all things. What a non sequitur. Does that even make sense? Let me pull this onto the screen for those of you listening to the audio. This is uh, also on uh, YouTube. So he says, uh, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame, before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he predicted a remnant a long time ago throughout the Bible. The Bible always talks about this remnant, that God's going to come in and he's going to kill all the wicked, and whoever's left, that's the remnant. And it says to choose to be part of this remnant, um, and that was Jesus' entire ministry, was uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So make yourself part of this remnant. It's not about individuals. It's not about predestining all things from before time eternal. He just assumes his own theology onto this text. And, and he'll, he'll talk about this just a little bit later. He'll say, oh yeah, people could take it this other way, but I choose to have my own personal feelings guide the
1: translation of the text. He doesn't say it quite like that, but that's what he's doing here. The specific people that he has elected from time eternal. And so everything that goes into that has to be a part of God's plan and God's sovereign action. And He says it's about specific people. Where do you get that from the verse? Where? It's
0: not there. It's not there. It's the same language as this remnant that we hear about throughout
1: the Bible. So when it says he works all things after the counsel of his will, it actually means that. But we don't even have to stick with Ephesians because Paul, I think, is just simply- And Enyar
0: points out the, the better context for that is that God doesn't do stuff without thinking about what he's gonna do. He's, he's got, he plans his actions out. It's not that God does everything to ever exist it, and uh, God thwarts himself and he says, how long will these people reject me? And he's just sitting there, Punching himself in the face like, oh, oh, how long am I going to punch myself in the face? No, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Read the context and stop bringing your weird
1: assumptions into the text, James White. Echoing what we hear in Isaiah chapter 46, listen to these words. I would invite everyone this evening to go home tonight. Before you go to bed tonight, go home and read Isaiah 40 through 48. It's the trial of the false gods and list yeah and we got an entire podcast
0: on the trial of the false gods and it's pretty good because the context of this is not what James White says. It's not that, oh, God has predetermined, predetermined everything since time eternal and nothing happens without God's will. No, the, the exact context, what's happening is that uh, the deutero Isaiah prophet is trying to convince Israel to worship Yahweh. And how is he doing this? He's comparing Yahweh's power to the false gods. And he says, you know what? God is says what he's going to do before he acts. And in that way, you know, that after the act happens, that it was God who does it, right? Because that, that, that's a proof of power. God says what he's going to do. People hear and understand what God's going to do. And then God does it. And then you can't ex post facto attribute it to another God, like the Babylonian exile. It was prophesied beforehand. And so, that way, when the false gods, the Mardukes, the Baals of the world, try to take credit, you say, well, no, Yahweh had predicted this as a punishment for Israel beforehand. God brought this about. Yahweh brought this about because he said he would do it. And that's his power act. It, it's not these false gods power acts. You can't have an ex post facto prophecy and count that towards power. That's the context. And the whole context is God trying to convince people to, to worship him, which James White thinks that God controls everything, so that so Isaiah to James White is just more God punching himself in the face. Boom! Why won't you guys believe in me? Boom! Punch myself in the face. Oh, oh! I predestined myself to thwart myself and to strive with these people for my own greatest glory. Punching myself in the face, greatest glory. What kind of? This is their weird, weird cultish religion this Calvinism, it's not found in the Bible, it's not found in Isaiah. And so let's let's hear his verses.
1: Listen to what God says about himself in those chapters, and ask yourself a question, who represented that God this evening? That would be very, very important, but listen. Exactly, who does Isaiah
0: argue like? Does he argue like a Calvinist? God meticulously controls all things to his greatest glory. Or does he argue like an open theist? God can do things because he has power to do them. And God, furthermore, proves to us his power by telling us what he's going to do before he does it. Who does Isaiah argue like? Does he argue in these negative attributes? And how does God know the future? Because he's going to do them. It's a power. It's not about knowledge. It's not about, oh, I look in my crystal ball and I'm looking at the future. Oh, the the future. I know it in my mind. It's knowledge. And if I didn't have any knowledge... Oh, I'd be a deficient God. Oh, no. It's not what's going on in Isaiah. That's not. God's saying, I'm
1: powerful. I said I'm going to do this and try to stop me. Listen to these words beginning in verse 8 of Isaiah 46. Remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning... And from the beginning of what? What's the context? Okay, let, let's let's hear the context. He's, he's probably going to quote it. And then he's going to ignore it. And from ancient times, things not yet done. How can God do that if the future doesn't exist? Oh, pretty easy because he
0: has power and a lot of power. And I could declare things that don't yet exist. Oh, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And when it happens, oh, is Chris Fisher, am I omniscient of all the future and timeless and immutable? No, that's a stupid argument. James White is making stupid arguments. Why does he make stupid arguments? Because his entire mindset is set in this Platonistic world where reality is not real. It's not rational. It doesn't connect. And he's off in this land of metaphysics where you can't say anything about the future unless the, the future is a thing and an object to bounce knowledge against. Absolute nonsense absolute nonsense. What does God say in Jeremiah even? He says, uh, if a nation repents, then I will repent of the things I thought I was going to do to them and said I was going to do to them. So is, is that a power thing? Does that thwart God's power? If God says, I'm going to destroy this nation and then they repent and then he doesn't destroy that nation, does that invalidate his power? No, it doesn't. But that's a change in the future. So Isaiah is about God's power and God changing his mind based on circumstances does not invalidate his power. It does in Calvinism, though. In Calvinism, God has to know the future in exhaustive detail. And then you got these weird passages where God says something's going to happen and doesn't. So open theism can explain Isaiah very well. Very well. It, it's, it's part and parcel of open theism. Isaiah argues like an open theist. And then you have the James Whites of the world saying, oh, we'll turn to Isaiah We'll bring our assumptions out of these, the texts, and then we'll just paste that over everything else. Oh, we don't care about what Jeremiah says. Yeah, ignore it. We got our, we got our theology over here. Oh, what, what, what does that say in Jonah? Oh, ignore it. We got our own theology over there. It's this incredibly dismissive way to treat the Bible. It's, it's not rational. James White is not a rational person and his
1: arguments are all emotional. Let us hear them. They're all emotional. How can God do that if he doesn't have knowledge of, uh, exhaustive knowledge of the future? Oh, how
0: can he? What? I can't... Me, James White, a PhD, professor, cannot think of a way God could do that without exhaustive knowledge of the future. Oh!
1: Saying my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Bob's gonna tell us- What? what? If you don't have knowledge of the future?
0: Oh, he can't make those statements. He has to be like, Ah, uh, I'm Yahweh. Maybe, maybe something will happen that I said would happen. There's no way to actually know if the future's open. So if the future's open, I would phrase all my statements in this weird way that James White approves of
1: James White, use some rationality. This evening, God hopes his prophecies fail. He hoped the prophecy concerning, uh, yes, yes. God does hope his prophecies fail. uh, uh Judas would fail. And it's okay if it did yes yes as we see time and time again in the Bible but here God says my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose yeah because
0: here's the difference James White and uh, mr. PhD Um, get it through your head that uh, God's claims in Isaiah are power acts to get the people to worship him but if God's changing his power acts what he says he's gonna do based on circumstances people understand it's not a power issue at play that doesn't diminish people's views of God's power just because God said that he's going to destroy Nineveh and then doesn't that doesn't mean oh now he's powerless and now his will is thwarted oh no his will is thwarted because Nineveh still exists till this day no 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 that's that's not what's going on here instead instead people understand yeah, circumstances change, and if God changes his mind based on circumstances, that doesn't mean he's powerless.
1: That actually means he has more power. That is my assertion this evening. I have three points to try to cram into 16 minutes, and it's not going to be easy to do. Point number one, the Bible directly, plainly, clearly, and inalterably teaches God's eternal nature and his absolute knowledge of all matters in time. Where, where, James White? One verse, one verse. Just give me one, just one, any. Because everything that happens in time is a result of his creative decree. Number two. No, no ver, no, okay. Okay, you got no as verses. Okay, let's go on. The Bible teaches that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and the demonstration of his deity is based upon. Oh, the
0: incarnation, that change in the fundamental nature of God and how he operates and uh, got his examination of uh being in a human body without omniscience and omnipotence and all these attributes that you claim that if god was without then he wouldn't be god and those were in jesus who you also claim is god and but without those attributes and so you have to make up this weird latent attribute type of
1: nonsense what god's eternal nature and his knowledge of the future they're tied together and i believe there are serious christological errors in bob Enyart's theology Sir-
0: oh serious christological errors oh no what about your own christological errors you don't think jesus was divine you don't you don't you think he's
1: uh, he's god inhabiting a body that's literally what you believe Serious christological errors that we will need to address this evening and number three my friends and this is why this is most important this is a gospel issue yeah, on the James White
0: page, they would not answer, they would not answer, James White will never answer this, was the human part of Jesus divine? Was it? And they won't answer, because that contradicts their Platonism, their their idea of these hypostasis where where Jesus is just uh, the kind of an, a human body that God took over for a time, and he's 100% God, but 100% man, but only the 100%, it's like a half and half Jesus, So, the 100% of the half of Jesus that's divine, that's divine. And the 100% of the Jesus part that's human is human. And they don't think there's any overlap. The human part of Jesus can't be divine because they're Platonists. They are literal Platonists.
1: The gospel of Jesus Christ is directly impacted by this teaching. And I will submit to you that as we look at scripture, God's knowledge of future events and specifically his knowledge of the people that he's going to redeem is made impossible by the open theist perspective. Oh man, Revelation has people being stricken from the book of
0: life. uh, That's talked about throughout the Bible people being brought in and out of the book of life. And so it's not about individuals. It's not. And there's nothing. You got nothing. You got zero. You got Nothing
1: and therefore the gospel itself is greatly impacted turn with me to isaiah chapter 41 and i want you to hear what god says in his inspired word isaiah chapter 41 verse 21 here calling the false idols to come into the court set forth your case says yahweh bring your proofs says the king of jacob so he's inviting these false gods come in set forth your arguments let's hear what you have to say Let them bring them and do what? What's the test that God gives us in his own inspired word for who is and who is not truly God? Tell us what is to happen. The true God can do this. A false God cannot. An idol cannot tell you what's going to happen. This is the very test given to the people of God. Here is the dividing line between the true God, because he knows the future, and a false God. Why is God trying to convince these guys? Why
0: don't He just wave his magic wand, his predetermination, and make everyone just believe these things without having to try to convince them through a trial? Right? Right? What kind of weird world do you live in? And so what is this trial? It says, tell us what you're going to do and then do it. That way we know you're powerful. Does God tell us everything that's going to happen? Right? It's like me waving my hand like this. Wiggle my hands. Yeah. Was there a divine prophecy about that? No. So how do we know God did it? Well, we don't. The, the trial of the false gods isn't applicable to that action because it's not something God claimed he's going to do. That's not about God's power. It's not about God predetermining every single thing, me wiggling my hand. And James White will take it as that because he can't read. That's what I have to come to the conclusion of. He can't read. And these are his strongest verses that he leads
1: with really really james white phd because he does not then notice what else it says tell us the former things what they are that we may consider them that we may know their. are okay yeah, yeah yeah let's let's let's
0: listen to this 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 is actually pretty funny he says he quotes tell us the former things okay
1: outcome or declare to us the things to come tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods and then he gets sarcastic This is sarcasm. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. Toeva, an abomination is he who chooses you. Strong words, but notice that something is frequently missed in this text. Here we go, here we go. It's not just so clearly stating that a fundamental test of the true God is he knows the future and can tell you what's gonna happen. That's clear, that's obvious but notice something else. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them and that we may know their outcome. Folks, do you know what that means? No, no, tell us, tell us what that means. I had the opportunity of teaching church history in Kiev. I landed. Oh,
0: personal story, blah, blah, blah. In Kiev,
1: right as the US State Department issued a travel warning, don't go to Kiev uh and i was there during the revolution yeah come on and uh what was i there i therefore i was teaching church history i've taught church history for many years Sure. and historians can very often tell you what happened in the past (laughs) the historians
0: i know also try to tell you why they happened with hilarious results because historians aren't very good economists and so uh, the best historians are the ones who also understand economics like paul johnson
1: but keep going, Mr. White. But very often historians cannot tell you why it happened.
0: Oh, oh really? Re- very often, okay.
1: In the past. It's one thing to know the facts. It's another thing to know why. And God says, not only can I tell you what happened, what's going to happen in the future, I can tell you what happened in the past and why it happened. Everything? Everything? Or the specific
0: power acts that he already identified that he told them beforehand what he is going to do and why he is going to do it, right? What's the context? Is it this God claiming that every me waving my hand, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle my hand? That God could say, "Well, I had him wiggle his hand, like a thirty-degree angle, alternating to a fifteen-degree angle, then to a forty-one-degree angle, and then back to a seven-degree angle." I had that because the an eight-degree angle would have been too much for my maximum glory. And then that 13 degree angle would have been worse than the 14 degree. No, no, that's what you're claiming. This verse means what, where's that in the context that everything that ever happened in the past has a reason. No, the context is God's power acts and not just any power act that he's ever done. It's the power acts that he's claimed credit for before those events happened. And then they came to pass. And he says, what's gonna happen, and why it's gonna happen, and then it does happen, and that way you know he's God. What are you talking about, James White? Can you read the context? That's the question.
1: You know what that means? That means there was a purpose. For every that means it happened oh. according to his divine decree oh? there is a reason there is a purpose and God we oh. may not know what it is we oh. may not know till eternity yeah. I don't but know. God knows what the purpose oh. was my hand because he feet. is an awesome creator and that's how you tell the difference between the true God and idols oh. and it says anyone there you have it James White he says that the way you know the difference
0: between the true God and false God is which God could h- explain the angles of my hand wiggles. Brilliant, brilliant PhD material. Put a stamp on that. That's his dissertation.
1: Anyone who chooses a god who can't do those things is themselves toeva, an abomination. Oh. Whoa. Those are strong words. Ooh,
0: strong words. They must. Those mean are strong Calvinism. words, but
1: that's not the only place. Right. Look at must, Isaiah chapter forty-four, yeah. verses six through eight. Must mean Calvinism. Same section, but this is where God reveals so much about Himself. Listen. To- no, no possible other explanation than Calvinism for these verses.
0: Oh, must be uh, d- divine determinism for everything.
1: What he says in verses six through eight of chapter forty-four. Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is. It's kind of disgusting
0: what he uses Yahweh's name and then attributes just pure Platonism to Yahweh.
1: Kind of disgusting there, Mr. White. There's no God who is like me, let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good way to figure out who has power claims. And so what this verse is saying is not that when I go to work tomorrow, because I predicted that. And then it comes to past now that I'm some sort of God that can defeat Yahweh. That's not what it's about. It's about these major power acts that are specific that require a lot of power to, to accomplish, right?
1: That's what it's about. It's not about me being omniscient because I go to work tomorrow. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know it on any. You see folks, I've been debating this issue. From the time I started ministry, because you see this folks, I've
0: been debating for this for a long time. And I don't know any other position but my own on these verses. And there's no common good reading comprehension explanation for all these verses in context that that uh, refute my own beliefs, my very studied beliefs that I've studied for a long time. There's nothing else could possibly be true because I am James White and I I don't know
1: any other position on these verses. I just, I just don't. Because the first people I dealt with were Mormons, and on an epistemological and ontological—oh, Mormons!
0: Oh, oh, being compared to Mormons! Oh, I feel so hurt inside. james White, you are a Platonist. Platonist, you worship the god of Plato.
1: I don't think you're a Christian. Let's keep going. To the level, Bob Enyart's theology of God's knowledge of the future is identical to Mormonism finite godism is nothing new oh identical
0: it's the same thing as mormonism oh all mormons they're just they just love bob enyard and his theology it's the same thing same thing right oh i'm not poisoning the well mist me me being a, a very scholarly james white i'm not misrepresenting people just trying to play on the
1: emotions of my audience oh, oh i'm james white mr scholar oh and so when i hear these things i'm like oh wow we need to go back to isaiah that's where we've gone so many times before in the context of demonstrating really and so
0: all those times you went to isaiah no one's ever pointed out to you the context no one
1: never the one true god what does god say set forth what is going to take place the true prophets can do that because they serve the true god who has exhaustive knowledge of future events. Now I said the next thing very much. Yeah. So what's the mechanism in Isaiah? This is not about knowledge. It's not about,
0: I'm looking into my crystal ball to know the future. It's it's not even about knowing the future. It's not about having knowledge that accurately fl- reflects known objects in the future. This is about someone having power to bring about their plans. And so what he wants is is this to be like some complete omniscience, his very special brand of omniscience, which is Platonic omniscience. It's this omniscience where information never flows to God in any way, and it's intrinsic in God's person. And also, it doesn't include experiential knowledge, it, 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 knowledge that uh, comes from experience. I know what it's like to be Chris Fisher. Jesus knows what it's like to be Jesus. Je- God doesn't have all experiential knowledge. No, just the special knowledge that he cares about, object-based knowledge, and that knowledge doesn't originate from anyone except for inside God himself. That's what kind of knowledge he's trying to argue from these verses. Absolute nonsense. Not what it's about. It's not about any of that. It's about God being able to accomplish his plans.
1: What concerns me is the issue of the incarnation. Turn just one Page back, probably in your Bible, to Isaiah 43:10, or maybe these days just tap back. That may be the way most people are doing this. Isaiah- wow, you're trendy, and you
0: understand technology.
1: Isaiah 43:10. This is an incredibly important text dealing with Mormons all the time. That last phrase, "Before me," I yeah, was Mormons.
0: Oh, mirth. Oof. It's poison. Poison that well. I think that I think the well's like 90% poison at this point, James White. So. So a little, a little bit more poison would be good, just, just just, a little bit more a dash of it. Maybe throw in some black licorice because that's basically poison, and then you got a pretty poisoned well.
1: ...me, no God was formed, nor, nor shall there be after me, cuts the Mormon law of eternal progression right in half. But notice what comes before that. Isaiah 43.10 is the Bible verse from which Jehovah's Witnesses get their names. Do you know that? Notice it says, You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, or as we slaughter it in English throwing in jehovah witnesses for some reason okay let's keep let's keep going that's jehovah and my servant whom i have chosen you may know and believe me and understand that i am he this is in the context of god revealing future events and he
0: must mean complete omniscience of the future in this platonic sense of the word where the knowledge is intrinsic and doesn't e- include experiential knowledge must mean that right that's that's the only way to take these verses he's going.
1: chosen his servant israel that they may know and believe me and understand that i am he in hebrew that's Anahu. Ooh, in the wow. greek septuagint the greek translation of the old testament which was the bible of the new testament church that is the phrase ego i i am oh so that therefore anytime the bible uses
0: ego a me," it must be a reference to this verse right that's where he's going to go here that's what, what he's going to do with this
1: now keep your finger there and turn with me to john chapter 13. here in the gospel of john chapter 13 in the context of the betrayer judas verse 18 i am so yeah uh
0: yahweh's name in the Old Testament is not Ego Amy. It's not anywhere there. And to try to take one verse from the old testament of Old Testament and say Ego Amy, and then let's switch to John and they say Ego Amy, a very common phrase in the Bible that's a lot of places, and the Septuagint a lot of places, to say one is drawing off the other is completely absurd. And and the reason he does this is because he doesn't have very good Trinity verses. And so he admits this, actually. He admits this, that, uh, that he wants this verse to mean what he wants it to mean, so he has a, an extra Trinity verse. He admits it. There, there was a debate with N.T. Wright where he used his emotional want of having Trinity verses to override N.T. Wright's understanding of these verses. That's, that's what he does. He's an emotional man.
1: I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. We may need to talk about that word because Bob has a very unusual understanding of what play rothe means. He who. Uh, dictionaries, James White, they usually work with multiple
0: definitions, and the definitions are shaped by the context and the culture of those words. And so when you switch to, like, just grab an English dictionary, James White. I don't know if you've ever looked at an English definite in an English di- dictionary, you might not have, but uh, flip open an English def- uh, dictionary and look at a definition of just like any random word. And there, there's a lot of different definitions because words are flexible and flexible in meaning. And to to be having this weird theology where all these words have to have mechanical meanings that you yourself place on them and no others, that's that's not a rational theology. You're not a biblical scholar. You're a mystic
1: who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Notice citation of Old Testament text. Jesus says it's going to be fulfilled. Then verse 19. Yeah, it's it's turned back to
0: the prophecy. It's not a prophecy and it is an analogy. It is uh, a prophecy in which a parallel event happened and it wasn't a direct prophecy. Just turn to the original text and read it. It's, it's very obvious. And atheists criticize Christians like James White all the time for taking these these uh these parallel prophecies these these uh parallel events and in the new testament will say this is a ful- fulfillment of this and christians will say see that's a prophecy that came true predicted as foretold crystal ball nostradamus and the atheists will say what what did you even read the prophecy it has nothing nothing to do with anything because it's not that type of prophecy and so the atheists are more
1: rational than James Whites on these types of verses. But let's keep going. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Then notice this verse 21. After saying these things Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified truly truly I say to you one of you will betray me. So here's the context, the betrayal of Judas and notice what Jesus says. In verse 19 I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take,
0: yeah, know that he's who. Well, what's the context, and who do the do his disciples think that means? And they think it means the Messiah, right? Do they, do they think it means uh, Yahweh incarnate, Trinity? Is that what's going on here? Is that what he's claiming, or is this just a Messiah text about being the Messiah? And the reference that you're trying to pull with Isaiah. Is not found in the context. Uh, you have to assume that out of the text based on your very, oh, very idiosyncratic theology, which you force on the text. It's not there. It's not there. You're making stuff up, Jim's wife.
1: ...place you may believe that I am he. Sound familiar? Yeah. If you look at the Greek Septuagint and you parallel the language, that's found in Isaiah 43.10... With what's found here in john 13 19 jesus is drawing from isaiah 43 10 and applying verses about yahweh god to himself nope not not what's happening here not at all
0: okay try again james white
1: this is one of the places the where i am is used in john in john chapter 8 verse 24. i am's never used of yahweh's name never 858, 13 19, and 18 5 through 6. John is clearly in each one of.
0: Yeah, you can flip to an English translation of uh, Yahweh, and, and uh, that's I am, right? I am who I am, Exodus 3. And you don't find ego Amy for Yahweh's name. I, let, let me state that again. You do not find ego Amy as Yahweh's name, even though Yahweh's name is I am who I am. Altern- alternatively, it's translated. I will be who I will be, or I am whatever I want to be. Basically, that's that's what we find in Exodus 3. That's not what we're talking about here. This ego a me, he's taking one random phrase out of uh, Isaiah in the Septuagint and saying that these, these two very, very, very common words, because they're stated in the New Testament together, that must, has to be, oh, the, no doubt about it, it's an allusion here. And it means that I am Yahweh rather than contextually, I'm the Messiah. And remember in Judaism, the Messiah was not divine, right? Not necessarily. There might've been some divine expectations and characters such as Melchizedek, but it it wasn't a common Jewish thought that the Messiah had to be divine, that the the Messiah had to be part of the Trinity. The Messiah had to be Yahweh. No,
1: No, those are, those are retrojections onto the past by James White these indicating to us that these are references to the deity of Christ not just the deity of Christ these are references to Jesus being Yahweh and so he's got this
0: emotional interest in these verses to make it be a deity of Christ verse because he's, he's had all these debates with these Mormons or whoever and uh, if he loses this proof text, oh, no, what is he going to do with all his debate material? So, so his emotional baggage that he brings to this text is overriding common, possible, and probable alternative takes on these verses. Uh, the verses have nothing to do with Isaiah. Yeah, it's, it's
1: complete speculation. And how does Jesus present this? in the context, I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it does happen, you may understand, you may believe, I am deity, I am Yahweh. No, nope, nope. Try again. My esteemed opponent this evening believes that Jesus could have been wrong when he said this. (laughs) Did you prove that? Did you prove that? So. Judas could have repented. That would have been great. And then he misrepresents us Calvinists because he says, see, Calvinists don't like this because they think it's terrible that a man repent. has nothing to do with it at all. I've heard him say that over and over again. Yeah, it does. It does. You do think it would be terrible.
0: And so you got cases where people actually do repent. Prophecy is averted, as God says he will do in Jeremiah 18. That's his standard rule. When people are like, oh, we need to look at the didactic texts, the texts that teach about God's operating procedures, those take precedence over the narratives. That that is the didactic text. That is God saying this is how I act. When people change, I will change. I'll not do what I said I'd do and not do what I thought I'd do. But oh who cares about the Bible? Let's throw all those away. Let's take Jonah and this this great example of God showing mercy on people who don't know their left from their right hand. Remember individual responsibility. When people know less, they're less culpable. And we'll take all that stuff, throw it in the trash. I'm James White, PhD, scholar. And uh, instead we'll s- surplant it with Calvinism and say, oh, Judas couldn't have repented. Oh, he was fated. This is God, God slapping himself saying, greatest glory to myself, greatest glory to myself. Oh, James White, you are so scholarly.
1: It has nothing to do with it at all. Our objection is simple. Jesus can't prove he's Yahweh by lying. We need
0: uh, he wasn't trying to prove he's Yahweh try again
1: James White to know who Jesus is and if Jesus says you can know me because of this then if Jesus is wrong knows how all his assumptions
0: they he just interjects his assumptions onto every proof text that he t- tries to turn to and he disregards any other possible explanation and then he just insists that he's right against against all evidence and this is his theology it's mysticism James white is a mystic.
1: We have no way of knowing who Jesus really is. That's no the issue. It has Not
0: nothing absolute. to do with yeah. Judas repenting.
1: No. It has everything
0: to do. If we lose the Judas repentance verses, ah, oh, we have no idea about who Jesus is. Oh, they just, we don't know anything about Jesus. If we lose that one instance. Oh no.
1: With God having to be true because my friends. If you want to know God is personal, if you want to know God is loving, you've got to first believe that God is true and consistent and faithful.
0: Yeah, and open theists believe in that. But uh, do you understand and represent open theists honestly?
1: Nope. 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 What if his gospel changes tomorrow? Oh. We're without hope. Yeah, yeah what if, what
0: if ah, my wife is going to the grocery store? What if, what if she just, instead of going to the grocery store, she, she cheats on me? I don't believe my wife exists because I can't believe in a wife that could, could change her mind. She has to be immutably tied to some sort of characteristic for me to have any trust in her. I have no way of knowing else what else she would decide because I'm James White and I'm very low stability and psychotic and I use emotionally laden argument instead of rationality.
1: We're without hope. Oh,
0: Oh, without hope
1: fascinating well fascinating very little time left turn with me please to very acts smart. chapter two very smart acts chapter 2 verse 23 we read these these words uh, let's begin in verse 22 men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested to you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that god did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god you crucified and killed by the hands of law
0: yeah what was the plan Oh, what was the plan specifically? Was it every single detail? Was it uh, me wiggling, wiggling my hand like this? Wiggle. Like there was a Jew that was that was uh, trying to uh, imprison Jesus and crucify him, and the Jew wiggled his hand like this? Wiggle, wiggle. That was part of the divine plan that it's talking about here? Or is it talking about overall objectives? Right? What's being talked about? Is prove what you're trying to prove. Rather than trying to
1: take a verse that says one thing and just force it into your theology, Wallace, men. the cross was not something that came along later in God's thinking. the The hand wiggle while they're carrying Jesus off, the
0: degrees of the hand wiggle was not something that came later. That was a plan from eternity. the The little pinky wiggle, wiggle, the pinky is wiggling on the guy who was uh, built the cross, right? The guy built the cross and is it wiggled like three degrees instead of two degrees and that was eternal don't you know because this verse absolutely definitely proves the eternity of that hand wiggle that pinky wing wiggle my name's james white
1: i debated a scholar of this subject by the name of john sanders a number of years ago and dr sanders a consistent open theist believes that when god created he did not know that adam would fall in fact Yeah, that's what the Bible says. It says that God repented of
0: making man, right? What do you think that means, James White? What do you think that means? In fact,
1: he was shocked. He was surprised. He didn't know it was going to happen. And that means when God created, he had no idea that you would ever exist. Yeah, that's what the Bible says.
0: Do you believe the Bible, James White? I don't think so. You got your Platonism. The Bible says that God regretted his own action in making man. Oh, we don't care about that. Let's... Well, we got our theology. We got our Isaiah stuff and then we take our Isaiah stuff and we got our presuppositions about the Isaiah text and uh, we'll just ignore, ignore the whole creation account, uh, God learning about mankind, God's initial reactions and uh, dealings with man. Oh' we're not, throat, we don't care about that. We got We got our own Calvinist theology where pink, pinkies are our hands. All every single little fluctuation. Oh, that's predestined from time eternal. And it's God's God's immutable plan to have the, the hand wiggle three degrees instead of four degrees. That That's what their claims are
1: as what their claims are. None because you're the result of thousands of free will choices. So God can never know that you existed. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biblical position. And so he couldn't know. What was going to happen? He created all the potentiality of all this evil. but he- Yeah, you
0: have no idea. There's, there's no way to know the future if you don't know every single person who's ever going to exist. So who James White reminds me of are the, the Pharisees who approach John the Baptist. And wh- what is their thought process? Their thought process is, God has promised Israel this kingdom, and so God's not going to kill all of Israel. And John the Baptist, he says, God's smarter than you. You think that God is a slave to his promise, and now you're safe because the promises make you safe. But guess what? God's innovative. God could change. God can do things. God can make new children of Abraham from these stones. So don't think that you have security and you could do whatever you want because there's promises that God has to hold to. There's God is innovative and could figure out ways to accomplish his goals without you, with you. And that's what John the Baptist said to these, these false prophets, these Pharisees, these James Whites of the world. That's who he is. He's a viper. And he and John the Baptist said, who warned you of the wrath to come? That's James White. James White is these
1: Pharisees. But he had no purpose other than to show that he's good and loving and personal, but all that evil? All that stuff that he didn't know what happened but but it it just sort of took place and so then he has to find a way to 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 solve this problem so we have the cross right and yet according oh yeah first we had uh a priest nation and
0: uh before this of course god approached the entire world and the world rejected him so he started with an individual and a priest nation to try to be his intermediator with the world and that failed right And then he sent Jesus to restore that nation and that failed, right? And so then he used uh, Christ's death as an atonement and uh, a way to initiate this, uh, this repentance of Israel. That failed. And Paul writes that now Israel has fallen and that's to provoke the Gentiles to jealousy. And now God's new plan is to use the Gentiles to provoke jealousy in Israel and create a new people group to reach the world through the Gentiles. And so you see all sorts of changes in God's plans and how he operates, but his overall plan of reaching the world and communing with the world, that remains unchanged. So when James White quotes these passages about God's long-term plans, he always assumes micromanagement. That's not the case in the Bible. God's plans are flexible, fluid. God can accomplish his goals in spite of constant, constant, People just thwarting his plans, people putting up resistance, people not cooperating. God finds a
1: way. To Acts chapter 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Yeah, foreknowledge from all eternity past.
0: Okay, when was the plan made? When was the foreknowledge implemented? And the foreknowledge is used of human beings too. And it's not this immutable foreknowledge from before time began. That's just interjections of James White's theology onto the text. He doesn't care what the text says. Uh, I don't care. Well, I'll I'll just interject all my assumptions
1: everywhere. Well, you can't have foreknowledge if you don't have knowledge of the fore.
0: There's no, no type of knowledge other than what I'm claiming is knowledge, where there has to be an object in the future that's known 100%. Exactly and who cares about normal definitions of knowledge like I know I'm gonna go to work tomorrow I don't care about those definitions of knowledge because I got my Platonism And my Platonism overrides everything common sense and anything the Bible says and poof! So how can the Bible talk about foreknowledge if it's not
1: my platonistic foreknowledge that I impose on the text and So God has a definite plan and the cross has been a part of that plan. In fact, as Peter tells us, it speaks of Jesus, the Lamb slain from for for our for our salvation, foreknown before the creation of the world.
0: Uh, misquote. It's the book was uh, from the Foundation of the world, and it's about names written in the book since the foundation of the world. That means names are continually being added and subtracted from this book. It's an ongoing process. Complete misquote. And uh, I don't think he'll ever deal with his misquoting of Revelation, in which names can be stricken from the book of life. How does that work when individuals are foreknown, predestined from before time eternal? Ugh.
1: The early church believed this. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 28. It's so clear in their preaching for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Look at all those different people involved there. Think of all the different motivations in Herod's mind and Pilate's mind and the Jews' mind and the Romans' mind.
0: Yeah, so Enyart, he actually quotes FDR about winning World War II. Think about all the motivations and the actors involved in winning World War II. What does it take? It takes a powerful person, someone who could put things together, manipulate, get things to work out. That's what these things are about usually. Where God whistles for the Syrians to come in and punish Israel. That God is God is controlling the events that happen but through motivating characters. He's dealing with diverse people with diverse motives. And James White says, "Oh, God is too weak. There's no way God could do any of this unless unless everyone's a puppet." And then he's micromanaging everything at the molecule level. That's James White's claim. James White's claim is that God is weak and powerless, unless he's the God of Calvinism, which is complete fabrication on his part. It's completely disingenuous. It's not a rational argument. James White is a mystic that just assumes his own theology.
1: Herod was a nut, Pilate was a coward, the Jewish leaders hated Jesus because he kept exposing them and the Roman soldiers just were getting their pay and doing their thing. All of them have all sorts of different motivations, but was there any uncertainty about the crucifixion?
0: Was yeah, yeah. Jesus said that let, uh, not my will be done, but yours. He said that he would avoid the crucifixion. He could call down legions of angels if he wanted. And, uh, Jesus thought there's definitely a possibility that the crucifixion could be avoided. So yes, 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 you deny Jesus's own words. You do, James White, because you have your Platonism, you don't care about what the Bible says, and who cares about what Jesus says and what Jesus believes? You got uh, your theology, your systematic theology, and every verse has to mean what you want to impose on the verse rather than contextual understanding of those verses.
1: Is there any uncertainty about the crucifixion? No, because look at what it says to what? do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place.
0: Oh, that verse proves it. Oh, oh now I'm a Calvinist. No, yeah, God has definite plans that he intends on doing, but when circumstances change, God changes his plans. And so we learn in the Garden of Gethsemane that God has a will, God has a plan, and Jesus could thwart that plan by prayer, right? Prayer, supplication. And the Bible teaches us that prayer to God is effectual on God. God listens to prayers and has plans. Oh, I'm going to destroy Israel, but then Moses intercedes and then he says, "Okay, I'll listen to you despite my better judgment as God. I will listen to you, Moses, and I'll save the people." And because I listen to prayer. And so it's not a power thing. Oh, God said he's going to destroy the people. It doesn't happen. Oh, God's powerless and God didn't really have a plan and, and everything's thwarted. God said, I will destroy these people. It's, it's, we, no one sits back and says, look at that weak God who can't accomplish his plans. No, circumstances change. And no, and no one's like James White where if the language is absolute that God says, I'm going to destroy Israel, that it has to happen no matter what or else it's a failed prophecy. Only in these weird instances where things actually occur that James White wants to occur, he he's gonna take these as his little proof text for to override everything in the Bible, everything we see. Use some consistency, use some basic consistency when reading the Bible, James White. Use some common sense. You don't. You're Platonist, you think in Platonist mindsets, you think in metaphysics, you don't you're not a rational person, you're a mystic. Yes.
1: There's the faith of the early church. That's why Christians have always believed what Christians have believed about the unchanging nature of God, His purposes, His intentions. You see, what we believe is that God is eternal, but you see, He has decreed in the creation of this universe to enter into relationship with His people. It's a personal relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It's all a part of his decree. He decrees in the creation of time to enter into time in the person of Jesus Christ and to also interact through- Yeah, that makes total sense that uh, God outside of time can
0: decree to enter time and then then he could decide to enter time and come out of time and and a timeless God can do that. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, that's definitely a biblical concept that God's outside of time.
1: his spirit with his people so you see the only way that there can be a contradiction there is if you squish God down to someone who looks like us
0: we are made in the image of God James White James White what about Genesis what about the entire biblical story of us being made in the image of God oh oh you don't believe that we're made in image of God oh I forgot about that I forgot that in no way we resemble God because God's impassable immutable transcendent and it is in no way like us even though God makes man in his image in Genesis one. You don't believe it. You don't believe it because you're a Platonist.
1: If you insist, well, he either has to be timeless and he's Plato's uh, cold stone idol, or he has to be a person like us that experiences time. What if he's bigger than either one of those?
0: <laughs> what is this emotional appeal? What? There's, what? My view is bigger than your view, so my view is the better view, and you got to believe my view, and uh because of emotions and stuff. I'm James White. What if he exists outside of time, creates time, and interacts with us in... Yeah, what if he's the God of the Bible, and it has nothing to do with Platonism, and it has nothing to do with being outside of time, this nonsense that didn't come about until Plato? What if... he? Yahweh was the God of the Bible who does stuff in time, reacts in time, changes based on the petitions of his people, and is not this stone idol
1: who was invented by pagan philosophy that you believe in, James White, Ph.D. ...in time and demonstrates his love for us by the second person of Trinity entering into human flesh, which does not create a change in the being of God.
0: Because my belief is that he inhabited a human body, and the human body is definitely not divine. And the human body was 100% human, and the spirit part of Jesus was 100% divine. So it was like a 50-50 Jesus. My name's James White.
1: You have to have a a, a very wrong Christology to come up with that idea. What if he does that? That's exactly what the Bible says he did. That's exactly what the early church, they recognized in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Now I, yeah, so like a four
0: degree wiggle of the centurion hand was, that verse proves that the hand wiggle was predestined before time began uh, eternally in God's mind in this absolute omniscient sense in which the information flows ultimately from inside God's own being rather than passively through any method, and God has no experiential knowledge. That You proved it. You proved it. That verse did it. That verse did it.
1: Two minutes and two and a half minutes is ridiculous, but here we go. Romans chapter 8. Let me just make a few comments as to how this is a gospel issue. You see it's a gospel issue because it has to do with the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ himself, but now let's look at some other. I don't believe, James White, you know anything about the gospel, but go on. ...other aspects, but I'll only be able to touch on a few. Verse 29, well, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is so personal, my friends. That is so personal. God has to be in control of...
0: That means that centurion hand wiggle, that worked. That, that added up to this scheme where everything works together for those who love God, the, the whatever degree of the finger that's been wiggled, that's that's what the verse means. All you have to do is read the verse, and it absolutely means that hand wiggles are predetermined from time eternal for the benefit of Christians. It could be contextually related to, you guys might be persecuted, uh, killed, and uh, otherwise hurt, and you might suffer a lot, but in the end, God has is going to win. He has a plan. The plan is going to be fulfilled. And Christians are going to be glorified. It can't mean that. It has to mean centurion hand wiggles. You got James White's centurion hand wiggle idea.
1: Future to make that promise come true. Yeah, yeah. That has been the bulwark of the hope of God's people for 2,000 years. But notice the application. For those whom he foreknew.
0: Wait a minute. <laughs> Woof. Must be individuals. It must be not the remnant that's often talked about, which people could opt in and out of, and people be, have their names struck from the book of life. About it can't be this uh, group. It's got to be like you and me. My name, James White. Me with my personal name. That's who it's about.
1: Wait a minute. For the open theist, God didn't know you were going to exist. I had no idea you're the reason did the verse say that he did know
0: I was going to exist me personally and not the remnant that's talked about throughout the Bible this group of people that God saves to himself who are righteous and not purged with the purging it is it, it wh- where where in the verse suggests you're reading James white where you just assume your theology onto the text you don't do any contextual analysis you don't do any biblical analysis and uh, you turn to the dictionary like oh it's got to be this one definition that i i want of this word it can't be anything else there's no other no other possible rational explanation about calvinism
1: result of all sorts of free will actions of men god didn't know you're going to exist so he couldn't have foreknown you you see you're, you end up with an impersonal concept of salvation where god simply chooses a nameless impersonal concept of salvation
0: what what impersonal when god saves people who love him that's impersonal because because and here's his logic because that name wasn't foreknown since time eternal even then, if that name name is known now and he's saving us now or uh, james white doesn't understand salvation just look at his debate with T. right where he's schooled he's just this he does he does he, that's why he gave himself a degree, is because he, he, didn't, he can't interact with views that aren't his own. He doesn't get them. He, doesn't, he can't think with
1: integrity. But yeah, let's keep going. A faceless group, and then we fill it in by, with, by what we do, by our belief, by our repentance, whatever else it might be. It becomes impersonal, just like the cross becomes impersonal. That's yeah, super impersonal. There's no personality about it. It's If there, your name is
0: not known from time eternal, it's impersonal. My name is James White.
1: See, I believe that the elect were united with Christ in his death. So his death becomes my death. His resurrection becomes my resurrection. My name was written on his hand. That's funny. I thought you
0: wasn't with Christ's death, but with uh, time eternal was what I thought your view was. But, yeah, there's no consistency with your views.
1: ...and... Not for the open theist. My name didn't exist yet. At the crucifixion, Jesus didn't know I'd exist. How could my name be on His hands? It becomes impersonal. That impersonal. changes the gospel. Oh, there's my there's friends. no
0: personality. There's there's it's super impersonal if uh, if the name isn't foreknown since time. I'm gonna just mock you, James White, because this is how ridiculous your views are. It it's not. There's no intellectual integrity, genuinity, you're not trying to accurately represent other sides you're trying to create m- emotional arguments and your entire arguments are are based in this emotion oh what if god can change oh, i can't stand that think how awful that would be if god did change oh I, I need a robot wife because what if she could change oh i couldn't handle that my name is
1: james white those whom he foreknew he also pre- be he also predestined to be conformed the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and notice the golden chain and those whom
0: yep it's all about the remnant who God said that he'll save this remnant and glorify this remnant found throughout the Old Testament do you ever focus on those verses no because those verses are all about Jews Jews and it's not included with Gentiles until the New Testament and God tries a plan B at, with Paul to include Gentiles in this remnant with the Jews because the initial outreach to the Jews to make them God's chosen people, an election to a priesthood, not an election to salvation, to life eternal, like stuff like that. This election to a priesthood, it failed. And so God had to open up and extend to the Gentiles this, this uh, national colleague, right? But, oh, no, we don't care about that. We don't care about the context of Romans. We don't care about what N.T. Wright writes about Romans, one of the most respected scholars in modern Christianity, because you got your own theology, and you just impose it onto Romans, because what you want Romans to be about is what you want Romans to be about. You don't care about other views.
1: Who he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What? I I totally missed this verse. Now I'm a Calvinist. It's the same group all the way through, and it's personal.
0: <laughs> How many verses it, it, it tell people to keep carrying on, or else they're gonna you know, lose their salvation? How many times of the Bible? Jesse Burrell? I was just reading an article of his on uh, once saved, always saved, and he, he quotes a lot of these verses where. People can lose their salvation if they don't continue in faith. Right? That's a common theme in the Bible. Right, so so this golden chain doesn't it have to say, well, there are some exceptions, hair and hair and hair and hair. That's it's not the point of the verse, it's not what he's going for. It's it's not contextually what wouldn't add to contextually to his point. He's not writing a systematic theology. A theology textbook with all these details carved out. He's making general, informative, and forceful statements that are generally true about things. And it's not about salvation to
1: heaven and,
0: well, oh, we're going to play harps. No, it's it's about a national calling
1: to a priesthood. That's what Romans is about. Well, my friends, you do not justify nameless, faceless groups. <laughs> and that is why the apostle could then say, yeah, that's, that's why it was written to the people of his own time, people in Rome. What then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's personal, and that requires God's knowledge of the future, the God of the Bible. Absolutely. These present statements
0: are necessitate future knowledge of all events. My
1: name's James White. Says, I am with the first, I am with the last. Why? Because by his grand creative power, he has created all things, including everything that happens in time, time itself. and the glorious thing is he has then condescended to enter into experience with us in time, and especially in the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you't you you believe for your attention.
0: You don't believe it. All right, so I I don't have any respect for James White and uh, these people who come off so arrogant. They don't even understand the other person's beliefs that they're debating against. They don't uh, represent them honestly. They don't understand other takes on verses that that you know it, these this Isaiah proof text. John Sanders talked to James White and told him what the Isaiah verses were about. And did James White internalize this? Did he bring it to this debate and say, well, open theists say this and this about that verse, but that's not likely because of this and this and this reason. No, it's this emotional appeal. If this verse isn't about what I want it to be about, then think of the implications. Oh, my emotions, my emotions. I'm James White. So emotional. So he's not a serious scholar. Awards himself a degree. And uh, I went out, I bought myself a little degree too. So now you could call me Dr. Fisher. Oh, Dr. White and Dr. Fisher can get in a debate now. It will be good. We're on equal footing, right? So that's good, right? But anyways, uh, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. Calvinists will say, you are not a nice guy. Uh, James White's not a nice guy. He's not a nice guy. He doesn't deserve my respect. He's done nothing to show that he has intellectual integrity. And, you know, I don't care. So, all right, thank you for listening.